I'm Gina L. Osborne, leadership consultant and international speaker. Are you ready to get out of your comfort zone? I have a new one-on-one coaching program designed to blast you out of your status quo. It's called Executive Bootcamp. We'll focus on eliminating specific obstacles that are limiting your full potential. If now is a good time for you to break through to the next level, book a 30-minute call with me to learn more at GinaLOsborne.com. Let's get ready to roll. Lead Like a Lady features amazing women at the top of their game who know what it's like to be the only woman in the room. They're here to share their stories, inspire greatness, and provide advice to all the women coming up behind them. Now, here's your host, Army veteran and retired FBI assistant special agent in charge, Gina L. Osborne. Welcome to Lead Like a Lady. I'm your host, Gina L. Osborne. One of the things I love about our guests on this show is not only are they leaders in their field, but they've evolved in their authenticity to the point they're willing to share their vulnerabilities. We all have struggled and continue to have struggles. It's how we deal with them and continue to persevere that is critical. That's the difference between being good and being great. Our guest on the show today is a tremendous example of how hard work and perseverance can lead to achieving the American dream. Vlada Bortnik is co-founder and CEO of Marco Polo, the popular video communication app that is changing the paradigm for millions of people about how we stay in touch. Vlada immigrated from the former Soviet Union, and her path to Silicon Valley is one of determination and steadfast passion for building something that could make the world a happier place. Having been a female leader in technology, I know we are unicorns. Today we talk about that, teaching our girls to embrace science, technology, engineering, and math at a young age, and to control our negative self-talk so that we can reach our fullest potential. Now sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired. Welcome to the show, Vlada. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited. I am so excited to have another woman in tech because, as you know, there are so few of us out there. But before we speak about that, I'm curious to see how you came to have this entrepreneurial spirit coming from the Ukraine. I think it's my dad. When we were living in Ukraine, living in Ukraine, everybody had government jobs. There was no opportunities for entrepreneurship until Gorbachev came to power. And then all of a sudden there started to be opportunities for side jobs. And my dad right away saw that as an opportunity because we were quite poor. And, and I, don't, I don't mean to say it as like a pitying on me, but just, we, just weren't, we just weren't well off. And so for him to be able to start on a side, working on projects and building out his business, I really saw how he was able to make a difference to our family, but also how much more freedom he had in setting that up. It was such a stark contrast to the job, the government job that he had. And then when we came to U.S., you know, it was a while before he was able to start 
kind of start his own business again. Because at first it was, you know, jobs at Pizza Hut, at grocery stores, like a lot of jobs that are not according to his education. You know, he was he was a mechanical engineer. But once he was able to get a, mecha- a mechanical engineering job, he also was looking for sort of side jobs as a way of getting to work on projects that he really cared about as a way of, again, additional income for our family. He always believed, like he always told me that if I have opportunity to do something on my own, I really should, that that's the way, that's the way to American dream. <laughs> and of all the places, like this is why he brought us here is so that we can dream big and we can make our dreams come true. And so for a long time, there was kind of in the back of my head that eventually that'll be my path. But it wasn't until I, until my job at Microsoft um, and really working there, you know, my first kind of taste of having an idea and like having it actually go to millions of people didn't come till Microsoft. And I think that really kind of lit a fire alongside with my dad's words in the back of my mind. How did you get into tech? It's interesting because when I was a kid, I actually wanted to be a doctor. Both of my grandparents were doctors and I adored my grandfather. And so I just wanted to be just like him. My dad was an engineer and I was always very curious about how things worked. But it wasn't really till high school and it was kind of getting close to applying to that college and figuring out what I wanted to do. I realized that I actually didn't want to be a doctor. <laughs> so my whole life, you know, and I did all the things that you do to get into a medical profession, learning about medicine and volunteering and hospitals and things like that. And at the same time, I was taking computer science classes in high school, and I was really starting to love it a lot. And I've always been really interested in, like I said, how things work. And all of a sudden, it just dawned on me, I don't want to be a doctor. I actually don't like blood. <laughs> I get I get nauseous when I see it. So when the question is like, okay, what is that I'm going to do? The answer became quite obvious to me. It had to be something with computers. For a while, I thought I wanted to do computer science, but just the way my mind works, I really like to understand the full picture. And so for me, computer engineering was a better approach because it really would let me understand the hardware and the software. So I would get a holistic image of how a computer functions. And so that's what I, that's what I ended up majoring in. And you took it a long way. You created an app called Marco Polo. Do you want to tell me how that came about? It all started with our kids. I'm sure every parent out there can relate to the story of everybody tells you everything will change. And at least for me, I didn't believe it until I was pregnant with our first daughter. And all of a sudden, the main thing that changed was my priorities in life the way I thought about the world really changed. And so my husband and I, the conversations we started to have, what do we want for our kids? What do we want for our family? And like every parent, what we wanted was happiness. We just wanted our kids to be happy. I think the thing that makes us perhaps different is that we were audacious enough to think that if we just understand the happiness research, we could then engineer happy kids. My husband is a computer science major, so both of us have a very engineering mindset. So we dove into tons of happiness research. The thing that became really clear that was repeated over and over was how important relationships are to happiness. In fact, often it was described as the key to happiness are relationships. And when they say relationships, they don't mean superficial relationships. It's the close relationships that really matter with the people you can call in the middle of the night if you need something 
It's the people that you cry to when something goes wrong and the people you call when something goes really well. As we were building our family, as we were creating our family, we knew that was going to be something that's going to be really of importance to us as well. And at the same time, what we were doing was not really feeling that close to our family. We were trying to stay in touch with them through video calls on the weekends. We were trying to stay in touch with them through emails and text messages. And it, the connection wasn't there, especially the video calls, something that we were investing quite a lot of time in. Just instead of feeling like it was bringing our family together, in the end, it was feeling like something that's really difficult to do. I was not looking forward to them anymore. It was becoming a chore because it was an hour with his mom, an hour with his dad, an hour with my parents, an hour with my sister. And our weekends were just completely packed. Given our research and given our own evidence life, we just knew there had to be a better way. So that's like the Marco Polo got started. The purpose came first. The purpose was to help people feel close. And how does the app work? Marco Polo is a private video messaging app for your real relationships, I like to say. It's the people, if they came to visit, you would actually go out to see them. It's imagining social networking. It's about having real authentic conversations. It's about real relationships. And the way we design the app is that every design decision and the business model is built to be good for you. So we don't sell your data. We don't show ads. The basic version is completely free because we're very much a purpose-driven company. And if you want to upgrade for some of the convenience features, you can. And that is how we make our revenue. When we think about design decisions, because our business model is really aligned with, with what's good for you, like where you are not the product is the product, we're making design decisions with that in mind. So there's no algorithms to try to get you to stay in the app for longer than you need to or connect with people that you don't want to be talking to. There are no likes to help increase vanity or social clout. It's just you and your real friends. And so the impact that it has is that it brings a lot of joy and happiness, like everyday joy and happiness to people who use it. You and I have spoken about the importance of encouraging girls to become interested in science, technology, engineering, and math. We know that by the eighth grade, girls either go towards STEM or away from it. I'd love for you to talk about the creative ways that you use to get your kids interested in STEM. You could say we started the STEM propaganda at a very early age. Yeah, let's talk about how you do your STEM propaganda. You know, for me, it starts with curiosity. I just think when the kids are little, their minds really want to know how things work. And that is what STEM is about. Don't you agree, Gina? You were doing engineering as well. And to me, it's, that's what attracted me to engineering is it's really figuring out how things work. So from the early age, we would do things that would help them understand how things worked. And it's everything from small circuit builders that we would get. I forget the name of, of that company that, that makes this like blocks that you can put together and all of a sudden the fan starts working. Mm-hmm. To them, it was like, oh my gosh, how did you do this? Well, we can talk about how the circuits are connecting. And if it's connected circuit, then the energy can flow. And now the fan is working. And if you open it up, it's no longer connected and the fan doesn't work. So just showing them the wonder of, oh, and, and you can do this. Like you have the power to close a circuit or open it. And I know it's a small example, but it just felt so magical. Or even things like the typical experiment of the baking soda and vinegar. It's like you created that. Isn't it cool how these two simple ingredients can create this reaction? What else can you do to make this happen? And then the other thing that 
I really try to instill in them is if they see a problem, for them to think of a solution. Don't assume the solution already exists or somebody, meaning like it's somebody else's job to come up with a solution. If you see that there's something wrong or there's something that you need, also take an active role. For my kids, I think that's been empowering. So there's been times where they'll try to reach something and I'm like, okay, how would you do it if I wasn't here? And then we talk through, okay, we can grab the tongues, you can get on the stepping stool. Now, can you reach and get that thing that you wanted from the higher shelf? So just like walking through problem solving together in a way that really sparks curiosity has been really important. But also books, like they, I love having them read Brazen Women. And we have all the books on women pioneering in various aspects of the world, because I do also believe that unless you see it, it's really hard to see yourself doing it. So I'm trying as hard as I can to surround them with images of women doing all kinds of things, not, not just engineering the way that I do engineering, but all kinds of science and, and technology. I love that. If you're not an engineer as a mom or a dad, what can you do to get kids interested? If you don't have that background, that it comes automatically to you, are there different things that you can suggest for parents that can get their kids interested in, their girls especially, interested in STEM? I actually think because STEM is really all around us, there's lots of things that we already do in our everyday life, like cooking, baking. I think it's a great way, like all the measuring. I got my kids into baking early on. Like we would measure things together, count how many cups, how many tablespoons, like little things like that are all, I think, foundational, like building blocks and that, oh, I can do this. (laughs) They're learning fractions when they're thinking about a half a cup. They can touch and feel what a half looks like. And that creates an image in their head that's much more powerful than just memorizing, oh, a half is like X, Y, Z. I think in our everyday lives, there are things you could be doing by just including kids in the things you're already doing. Gardening is a great example. That's also a science. Planting the seed and watching the seed grow and teaching them this, the life cycle of a plant. That's another great example of getting STEM mindset early on. I think the biggest thing is, for me, was being also really patient with their questions. There's this age where they ask a lot, both of my kids ask a lot of, well, why is the sky blue? Or why is this? Why is that? And it's really easy to get really frustrated, at least for me, it was at the beginning. And then just remembering that, no, this is actually my hook in getting them to understand how the world works and getting them excited at figuring stuff out and getting into STEM. So do you think by doing this, by the time they do reach that eighth grade level, that they don't feel overwhelmed by looking at science or technology or engineering or math because they've been introduced to it for their entire lives? Yeah, for, I think that's the key, actually, Gina, is like not to make STEM be like, oh, it's a separate thing that some people do only if they're like X, Y, Z, but instead STEM is it's part of your life, just like you're breathing, <laughs> just like you get dressed, just like your personal hygiene, STEM is all around us. It's like not a separate part of your life. It is just part of life. And showing to kids how that STEM is really integrated, I think gives them a lot of confidence It's that they're already doing it. They already know. It's not a new thing that they then have to beef up on. It's a thing that they've been doing their whole life. And now it's just, it's just evolving. 
Yeah, a great example of it was just, it was so interesting. My daughter, my oldest daughter, they have, they're fortunate enough that like a junior museum comes to their school sometimes with a, like a project and they just built a robot in, in a classroom. And to her, it wasn't, and it was like one of those small, where you put a battery pack in and it creates, again, the sand thing in the back, which moves the, which propels the little robot forward. But to her, it was like, it was magical, but she also, it didn't feel like, oh my gosh, I got to do this like thing. I don't usually do it to her. I felt that just, that's part of life. That's part of the world around us. It's part of me understanding how the world works as opposed to like, now I'm going to put aside what my regular activities are and I'm going to do this other special thing. I love that. And even just taking them to a science museum. We have this wonderful place called the Discovery Cube here in Orange County, California, and it is just it's place for kids to play, but they're playing in science and they're being shown different things that you're talking about and really just being engaged in teaching them this is how things are done. I really think by getting them at the young age and introducing that to them, that's where their curiosity starts. And that's a great point. The other thing that we continue to do, not this past year, but in the past, we put them in science camps. Everything from robotics to, but there's camps where they, they teach different aspects of STEM. And it'll Lego camps, a, a great example of learning how to build things together. There's a great Lego camp that teaches you civil responsibility and civil engineering. So there are opportunities all around us, but I think the key is to demystify STEM and make it feel every day. If it's part of every day, then everybody can do it. It's no longer for the elite. It's no longer for just the boys. Yes, that is so true. I work with the Girl Scouts and I've met so many of these gold award girls who are centering their projects around STEM because STEM is one of the four pillars of the Girl Scouts. So yes, I'm a big believer in what you're saying to demystify it is definitely the key. Vlada, you've had a lot of personal development through your journey as being a woman in this male-dominated field of technology. What are the main lessons that you've learned? There have been so many lessons, you know. The biggest lesson, I think, is to believe in yourself and to be fearless. Because the truth is, there's not that many women in tech. <laughs> the truth is that even with everything that's happened post the Me Too movement and everything we try and do with diversity and um, equity and inclusion, the number of women in tech is just small, and especially in leadership positions. You have to be fearless to go into this world. You just have to. And I think it's really important to also find ways to surround yourself with people who believe in you and have you do enough personal work to start believing in yourself as well. And I can speak to that if, yeah. if it's helpful for how I've been able to overcome my anxiety and lack of confidence to be doing what I'm doing. Yes, please. First of all, I'm not sure if you even know this, but we, when, when the company actually launched, I had two kids under the age of two. Wow. So <laughs> we didn't, it's not like my husband and I don't come from a wealthy background. So it's not like we could just afford to take time off. And, and just relax and just like focus on this company. We were literally living month to month and doing enough consulting to pay our bills for our two kids and us so that we can focus on this. That takes 
a level of fearlessness mm-hmm. <laughs> and just believing that we can create the future together. We've spoken on the show before how important it is for us as strong women to pick the right partner. My husband is somebody who is an incredible partner. And I was really fortunate in that. And I know of how important partnership is, any partnership, but especially in a committed relationship where both of us felt like we're in this together equally and we're both sharing responsibilities as much as you can early on, even if the husband's trying to do this or the, the partner is trying to do as much as they can, I'm still the one who's breastfeeding. So there's only so much that he could help us. But I think that was like an important decision that we made together. It's like the way we're going to be approaching our life, our partnership was going to be equal. And we've had conversations about it since we were dating. We even for a while had a spreadsheet of chores and activities to make sure everything is equal. But I think that was like an important piece for me to be able to do what I'm doing now is to feel from the beginning equal footed with my partner. Wow. How do you become fearless when you have two kids under two and uh, you're barely making the bills? It's just how do you, where does that come from? Where does that courage come from? Yeah. So I think initially the courage also came from my parents. They immigrated to us in 1990 in their 50s, leaving everything behind like all the money behind everything that we had saved up, we, we had to leave quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And they did it for a dream. They did it for us. They did it for the dream that we could live a better life. And I think that fearlessness does come from them. But then over time, I've done a ton of personal development work on myself to also have a bit more of like, I'm worth it. Yes. And that's critical when it comes to second guessing ourselves. You and I talked about your worst critic. I even named yes. her. <laughs> her, name, her name is Gretchen. Gretchen. Yes. yes. <laughs> Gretchen. She is very loud or she can be very loud in telling me all the ways that I'm not good enough and I don't belong in this job and that there are people who are better than me and so on and so forth. I've been really fortunate to get to know the work of Byron Katie. It's called, it's actually called The Work. And it's this whole process of questioning your thoughts or questioning Gretchen and really thinking like, is it true what she's saying? <laughs> and sitting with it. And then part of the process is that looking for turnarounds. How is it not true? And really starting to slow down. And so when I have a self-doubt, Like even coming into this podcast, oh my gosh, like I could feel my stomach churning. My mind was saying like, oh, Gina should be talking to other women. They have better things to say. I don't know why I agreed to do this. Gretchen was very loud. And I had to like literally just breathe and question, is it true? Is it true that I don't have something valuable to say? Is it true that there could be somebody better? Is it true that they made a mistake in asking me to be on the podcast? And (laughs) there's a whole process that uh, Byron Katie outlines on on the website, but it does help me slow down and catch the thoughts that my self-critic has, question. And then as I question it, they go of me. And I can come feeling much more confident and peaceful and, and at ease with who I am. Your vulnerability in sharing that 
is going to resonate with a lot of women because I think we all feel that way. I know I felt that way going into a male-dominated field in law enforcement. I was a cocktail waitress before I became a counterintelligence <laughs> agent, and there was Amazing. only about six months in between. <laughs> wow. So talk about imposter syndrome. Do you think it's because we're overachievers or is it perfectionism? What do you think really urges Gretchen to have such a prominent role? I think it's because of the way our society has been so far and what has been put up as kind of like the template of ultimate success <laughs> of what a leader looks like, a successful mm -hmm. leader looks like. Mm -hmm. And those people don't look like me. They don't have my background. I have to tell you, like it took my husband was the CEO of our company first. It took him a year to convince me to even think about it because I was like, there's nobody. I'm like, I'm not like this. My mind doesn't work like yours. <laughs> I'm, I'm like much more intuitive and I am like, I lead with my heart. I don't like, I don't think about the problem the same way you do. It's a bad idea. Like I would just keep telling him this is a bad idea. I don't even want to consider it. And it wasn't until I joined a group, it's called Leadership and Tech, where I saw women and I saw other men and people and, like, and people of color and like people who just didn't have the typical background of what we, you know, we typically see in a space and, and especially in Silicon Valley, that it dawned on me, I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it could be done a different way. Leaders are not all cookie cutter in the same. There's different ways to lead companies and different companies need different kinds of leaders. And uh, for the first time, started to believe that it could be me. And it took a year from that. So it took two years in total. And all the years ahead of behind me, it's like of all the self-development work. But I just think that it's one of the reasons, Gina, that I really want to be speaking more. Because I really believe the world needs more women in leadership, more moms in leadership, more people from lots of different backgrounds. Because... There's different kinds of companies in the world. There's different kinds of businesses. And until we all realize that we each have a different kind of leadership to offer, I don't think the world will be a good place to tell you the truth. Because otherwise it's always, oh, it's somebody else's problem. It's somebody else who, it's like people who look like X, Y, Z are the ones who are responsible for fixing the world. As opposed to, oh no, people like me can be leaders. I can be a leader. Oh my gosh, I can take ownership of this problem. I can help fix it. I think that's the cascade that I want to be empowering more and more. And when it comes to authentic leadership, I've done presentations on this in the past and really is an evolution where once you figure out that the leadership traits that you have, you've had since you were a little girl, the communication and the problem solving and the um, relationship building and all of those types of of leadership traits. I think we as women, we don't really look at those traits as being something that is important because we can do it easily. Yes. So yeah, the more that I evolved as a leader in the FBI, once I be, I started thinking, okay, this is what I'm good at and this is how I'm going to contribute. And I'm not going to try and be macho and I'm not going to try and be this or lead like somebody else who doesn't even look like me. I'm going to, this is who I am and this is how I'm going to lead. And really that's when I started to shine. But I think that is definitely a process to get to. Yeah, I, I really agree with that. I think that's a really good point that I for sure undervalued the skills that came easy to me. 
And I just thought that's not a skill. <laughs> I just, that is what I do. I remember in that leadership in tech, in that group, Carol Robbins was the, is one of the people who were co-founders of the group. And I remember turning to her and said, I don't know why anybody would follow me. Like, I just don't get it. And she looked at me, she's like, because they will feel cared for, because they will feel inspired, because they know that with you, we're in it all together. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> thanks for saying that. <laughs> and that is so powerful because when you look at places, businesses, or any sort of agency that has really good morale, it's because the employees feel like they're cared for and they feel like they're recognized and they feel like they own the mission. I think sometimes we're looking out to across the sea to try and figure out what the answer is, but really it's the exact skill set that you have that makes people want to come to work every day. Yes. I couldn't agree more with you, Gina. I have to say, I think the other thing that's really important on this journey for women who are listening is to find your support group. So for me, it started with Lit. Now I'm lucky enough to join YPO and I have an amazing group in my forum where we can talk about things. I think it's really important to find a group of people who believe in you, who support you, who you can talk to about these hard things. I agree. Doing it on your own, <laughs> I think it's, it's crazy. And in this day and age, you don't have to do it on your own because there are so many groups out there, whether it's on Facebook or you can go anywhere to really find your tribe and find the people who are going to yes. champion you and you know get you over the hurdles and talk you out of listening to Gretchen every day. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. <laughs> Yeah, actually, it's a great, that's a great thing to do is call your friend. When you hear your own Gretchen, call your friend and say, Gretchen says this, right, what do you right, say? Exactly. <laughs> well, from all of what you said and all of the things that you've done in your career, you've been willing to take certain risks because you're not afraid to fail. Why is that? For me, the failure is in not trying. I just really, maybe it goes back to, again, my parents, but for me, I just really want to, I feel like life is really short. (laughs) This might sound more arrogant than I mean it to be. I've always felt like I'm meant to do great things and make a big positive impact in the world. And so for me, the only failure is not doing that. When you have that feeling in your gut that you are destined to do great things, listen to it. I always listen to my gut, no matter what. Whenever I have to make a huge decision and I'm on the fence one way or the other, I listen to my gut. And when you have that feeling that, you know what, no matter what, no matter how much time it takes, I still feel that I am destined for greatness and I have so much to give. And that's so important to listen to that because that's really going to be your roadmap getting to that destination of being great. I agree with you because that feeling has stayed with me my my whole life. It, it's what drives me today. Like I really believe that our company, I, my husband and I, my, our whole team, we are doing amazing things and we are destined to make a really big impact in the world. And it's an audacious thing to say when we're surrounded by giants, tech giants all around us. <laughs> and yet I believe that we can help the world reimagine social networking We can bring back real relationships. (laughs) We can turn the ties on how big tech is perceived and 
bring back the magic of technology, bring back the feeling of technology can be good for me and can feel joyful and can be something that's actually connecting and not falsely <laughs> creating a highlight reel. And I think it's because like I've never lost that feeling in my gut, like you said. Well, Vladi, you're certainly doing great things and people seem to love Marco Polo. You've got over a million five-star reviews and millions of people are using it every day. Everyone that I've spoken to really appreciates it. So where can we find Marco Polo? You can download it for free on App Store or Play Store. And you can always go to marcopolo.me to learn more about us and what we're up to in the world. Flada, thank you so much for being on the show. You are delightful. Uh, Gina, I love being here and I love chatting with you. I think you're doing amazing things in the world. Thank you for joining us on Lead Like a Lady. If you enjoyed this episode and are feeling inspired, please subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite listening platform. Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne is produced and edited by Lisa Osborne. Theme music is Leading Lady by retired IRS criminal investigation attache Clarissa Balmaceda featuring Alex Castillo. Find us on social media through GinaLOsborne.com slash Lead Like a Lady. And don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne wherever you get your podcasts. 